Okay. Okay. Hi, welcome to the coffee celebration. Today, I have found um, my person who was separated at birth. I just need to tell you, um, Dr. Erica, is it Michelson? Mike, my, uh, Michalski, is that it? That's close. Mikulski. Yeah. It's Mikulski. Oh, and I was putting a in there. I'm so I sorry. Know. You know what? To be honest, my partner's grandfather has enough relatives that somebody probably says it that way too. I've met a lot of people who say it lots of different ways. So we'll assume someone somewhere uses that pronunciation as well. We're good. Perfect. Okay. And we were just talking, I do not know when she sleeps. (laughs) Not only is she a college professor um, at the university of Missouri, it's at, um, at, in Columbia, right? Correct. Yep. At their flagship campus. Okay, I'm I'm sure this is going to be online though, and and you can talk about it when we get into it. But she owns her own consulting um, firm, and she's the founder and CEO of Strategically Authentic. And CEO is actually Chief Encouragement Officer, not Chief Executive Officer. And so you can kind of get a feeling of how genuine, transparent, and fabulous she is just from the name of her business. Um, She does keynote speaking, she um, does training, and she's a master trainer through the Association of Talent Development, and I really don't know when she sleeps, but we have found out that not only do we have a love of coffee, but of Grater's ice cream, which we, you know, they go hand in hand, really, but I really wanted to have you share with the people who listen a little bit about yourself and how you became to find this platform of um, being a consultant, a trainer, a facilitator of awesomeness. Um, I well, first of all, I hope it's awesomeness. I don't know. It is awesomeness. If they I, could see your office, it is, <laughs> it is. You guys, it is just delish. I am like looking, and I'm Jewish, but I'm like, this is so zen. There's Christmas tree. There's joy. There's Santa up on the shelf, and and I don't know how well you can see it, but it is a racially diverse Santa because yes, I, I also want to make sure, which if you need one, they're at Michael's and they're beautiful. Um, so there you go. I have had a couple of friends who are either not religious or not Christian in their faith base. And they're like, look, I can get behind a decorated cactus because that just feels fun. So yes, if you <laughs> would like some delight in your life, there is a year round four and a half foot tall metal cactus that I bought on a road at a roadside stand in Santa Fe, New Mexico, like a normal person on vacation. I bought a giant cactus. And then my sweet mother-in-law had to ride all the way back to Fort Collins, Colorado with it, like spread across her lap. So it's, it's really just a, an anchor in my office. But if you come find me on social media, you will see all of the color all the time because I only know how to be myself. And this is who I am. I am a person who loves cheering for and encouraging other people. I love the idea that you can be who you are, but some of us forget that. And so I come alongside and I say, I whisper in your ear and I say, who are you? Actually, I don't whisper. I don't know how to whisper. I don't go to libraries. I don't go to golf courses. Whispering is not my thing, but it sounds so like charming when I say it that way, but I don't. I show up next to you and I celebrate who you are right now in this moment. And then I ask you where you want to go and we work with what you have to get there. So it's very much this idea that authenticity is the greatest superpower that you have and it equips you better than being a deluded version of somebody else, which so many people are aspiring to success through this lens of other people instead of assessing sort of the impact someone's having. And thinking, how can I have an impact that creates that feeling for another person or creates that impact in my community? How can I look at it through a lens of authentically having an impact rather than being, air quotes, another person? Mm -hmm. And so that's what I do. I mean, that's the the non-official version of what I do, but it's what I do and it's what I love. And it's it's how I live my life and it's how I'm raising my two daughters. um, And it's how I show up in my community. Um, It's how I show up in my marriage. I just show up as this like eclectic, explosion of a person who lives unapologetically loudly and boldly. And, and for those who are interested in that, 
they seem to really take great delight in it. And for those who are not, you know what, they don't want to have dinner at my table and that's okay. And that's okay. No, it's true. It's like, you are going to attract your people. Yeah, absolutely. And if I don't mind my saying after that introduction, I have a huge girl crush right now. On you. So, well, you're also welcome at my table. Anytime when you okay, come back to your family, just drive North, come see me. Okay. We'll have I dinner. Know. Okay. So she lives in Fort Collins. Can I say that? Okay. I yeah. just did. Yeah, yeah, you can. Um, and I'm from Colorado. And so I did an internship at CSU in the summer of 1994. Oh, and that is the summer that Pengree Park had a fire and completely burned down. Oh my gosh. So that was their mountain campus. Yeah. Um, there was a lightning strike on the other side of the mountain. And from one 30 in the morning on it just completely. And I was there that weekend. And so, um, I'm familiar with CSU and I've had several cousins who go there and it's, if you haven't been to Fort Collins, everybody just go. Old town is so so fun here. Yes, you are. You are. And so it's it's like the Midwest energy. So I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Iowa. I grew up in Des Moines where we very much went to the local grocery store. I know the people in the eighties. I mean, they still do now to this day. I mean, Des Moines is a big, small town. But all of the energy and the the enthusiasm about knowing, but not in a Gladys Kravitz kind of way. Um, for those of you who are younger listeners, Gladys Kravitz is from Bewitched, and you should just spend a hot minute watching because it's so good anyway. But don't watch the remake with famous. Like, go watch the original. Re- yes, Bewitched, the original. Um, but anyhow, Glad- Gladys Kravitz was the nosy neighbor, and I make that reference a lot. And the the older I get, the more that I realize that my references were anchored to Nick at night when I was growing up, which means TV from the fifties and sixties. And for sure, no, now friends is on Nick at night. So then I know that I'm very old. And, um, so anyhow, growing up, I was very fortunate to grow up in a community that genuinely just sort of cared about the collective. And we were the quintessential, out until the streetlights come on, catching fireflies in whoever's yard where you were, nobody cared. Everyone's parents sort of kept enough tabs that no one was worried, but no one was overly nosy or invested in the logistics and the ins and outs and the, the finite details. They just sort of assumed we would survive, which we did. So I worked out well. Um, and Fort Collins is, is a version of that with mountain access. So I don't know what else you could possibly want in life. Oh my gosh. Mountain air, clean water. It's like so much sunshine. Just a little jealous right now. The people didn't even know. Um, If you don't know this about Colorado, we are the sunshine state. I didn't know this till I moved here. When we were be, when my partner was being courted for his postdoc is how we landed in Fort Collins from St. Louis, which is where we lived prior to we were here for two days and I was looking for a place for us to live with our, at the time, very tiny babies. And he was on campus doing all these things. And it rained for two straight days while we were here. I am from the Midwest. This is a normal thing that happens. No, in Colorado, every, every person that I met in Fort Collins for two straight days while it was raining started by apologizing to me for the weather because people here take it very seriously when it is not beautiful weather because it's a thing here and I five years ago I did not understand this now I can tell you I recently apologized to someone who was visiting when it was raining so I get it so listeners if you come visit and it's raining just come find me and I will make you feel so good about the fact that I felt like it was my responsibility to give you beautiful weather because that's what happens when you live here you become invested in things you didn't even know you were supposed to be in charge of. Exactly. So you're from Iowa, but then you ended up going to the University of Missouri at Columbia. Yeah. For undergrad and graduate school. Yes, I did my master's there. So I was in like a teeny, a teeny smidge of law school, which is not on any professional documentation because it was like a blip on the radar and life was really tricky at the time. So I love Columbia. Um, in fact, I was just working on my Christmas card and my school played my partner's school for the first time in the history of the two schools for football. And the bet was whoever's team won got to dictate the Christmas card colors. Oh my God. And I will tell you, I'm really glad he didn't go to like LSU where their colors are not necessarily as 
festive, subtly festive and school spirit, right? Because I thought black and gold would be a beautiful Christmas card. Absolutely. That is not what my Christmas card is. It is Boston College maroon and gold, and it looks fine, I guess. Oh my God. I did. I was in Columbia for a very long time. I love Columbia. It's part of why I love living in Fort Collins because Fort Collins reminds me a lot of Columbia as far as college towns concerned. And then my doctoral work I did when I had moved to St. Louis for my career. So, and so where did you get your doctorate from? Lindenwood University. Mm -hmm. um, Prior to becoming a traditional four-year institution, they were a school of education. Um, their, their history is rooted in being a women's college of education. Um, I believe, I believe it started as women only college of education, but if not, it did start as a, you know, a school of education during a time period where predominantly that was where women went, if they were going to do anything outside of raise families. So, and then it evolved and it's now, you know, a traditional four-year institution in, um, St. Charles, which is a suburb of St. Louis. My son goes to high school in St. Louis. Oh, really? I'm supposed to ask which one, but I did not grow up in St. Louis, so I don't understand what any of it means, but that's the St. Louis question. They joke about it a lot. Like, which school? Oh, really? Yes. It's a very, when I was in St. Louis and single, um, trying to socialize in St. Louis really came with this obnoxious, what high school did you go to question, which is like perpetually what, what people ask. And I didn't really understand the point of that question as an adult, because all it does is it potentially identifies, you figure you maybe knew people a little bit, the class above you, class below you. So all it does is it identifies a range of people you may or may not have known. And then you both say, did you know so-and-so? And And then you say yes or no. And then you all sort of stare at each other for a second and then move on with your life. To me, it was just a wild thing. But I I read an article sometime when I was living in St. Louis, there was an article in a national publication about the St. Louis question. And it was because is so known that you just ask people at high school that they went to. And I think that that is mostly hysterical. Yeah. And I used to joke because they have some um, all boys and all girls Catholic schools, Jesuit schools in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And so because I thought this question was ridiculous, I used to jokingly say one of the all boys schools when people would ask me because I thought that was hysterical. Yeah. And then people would still do the thing. Oh, did you know a person? And they would say a person. And it usually was by the, by the first person or the second person. They would all of a sudden go, wait a minute. What ended up being hilarious is Dan, who I am married to, went to the all boys school. I did not know him, but he went to the all boys school that I jokingly told everyone that we, that I went to. So when I found out what high school he went to, I said, oh, I went there too. And he looked at me really funny. And I was like, well, that's what I tell people. That's hysterical. So, so you met him while you were doing your doctorate. Correct. I met him about three weeks after I said, I'm not going to date till I finish my doctorate. And instead oh, yeah. I met Dan, we got married. We had two children. We had one child. I wrote my dissertation pregnant with our first daughter. I defended it pregnant with our second daughter and graduated, um, st- uh, just after that. So my second daughter, I was still pregnant when I graduated. You are phenomenal. The good thing I told the universe I was not going to date because the universe was like, ha ha. It's the moment you. you put it, it's the moment you put it out there and no. the universe goes psych. It's oh my thing. gosh. So you live in Fort Collins, but you teach for, um, they call it Mizzou, right? Correct. Yes. They so do. you teach for Mizzou do. and like, how did you get this, um, your con- consulting um, business started because your Instagram handle is consultant Barbie, right? Yes. Which is, I love it. I was just totally stalking you. So I hope you, <laughs> I was just like, Oh, yeah, you also like Ted Lasso. It's a good month to find me because yes. I'm running up the Ted Lasso content this month. Oh my gosh. Okay. I will. I will. Um, but like, how did you take the content uh, from your, was it from your doctorate or was it just in, you know, completely embracing <laughs> how fabulous you are and saying, you know what, this is what I've got to give. This is who I am. And everyone around me is phenomenal. And I'm going to make sure you know it. Like, when did you kind of cultivate this? It's dynamic. I I don't even know. Like, I wish people could see your energy because I'm just glomming it right now. (laughs) I just want to know, like, how did you create this sacred space, so to speak? You know, 
It did. So it, it started without a name. I will say that I've been passionate about authenticity for my whole life. Um, and I can reflectively look back and say that, but I didn't know that's what it was or have a name for it as it was evolving. And part of, despite the body image issues that come with a love of Barbie and all that. So all of that aside, the thing about consultant Barbie as a handle or loving Barbie, which I did my whole life, um, still do, um, Barbie went to space in pink glitter. Hello. Like she does life right. authentically with whatever <laughs> version of reality on her body yeah. that she can. But as far as like showing up as yourself, for me, there's, there's no one who is living as themselves to the degree that Barbie was and, and Barbie did when I was a kid. Um, you know, so it is hilarious to me because I recognize and wholeheartedly honor and appreciate how many problematic messages are tied to Barbie. So I compartmentalize my love of Barbie through a lens of authenticity only, um, and have very real and honest conversations with my children when we talk about Barbie and what she's wearing. And and we have, I, I don't think I had a, I don't think I'm confident. I didn't have a diverse collection of Barbies growing up and my children very much do. So the evolution of Barbie, I certainly appreciate as well, but from a surface level perspective, she said, you know who I am? This person, do you know what I'm going to do? Anything I want. And I thought, man, that is all right. I can do that. I can be that. Um, you are allowed to be a blonde woman. And at one point in life, I didn't have to fight with nature about my level of blonde. And now I do. So you can be authentic and buy your hair color. Just so you know, audience, you can do it. Mother nature doesn't always know best. Okay. That's right. Um, <laughs> but I have spent my life showing up for other people and doing it with great enthusiasm and doing it without question. Just, I've loved that piece. And my career, like most people's at this point in our, in, for those of us who are sort of the Gen X friends, like a lot of us don't have a linear career anymore. We're at the beginning yeah. of like, let's see what happens. So mm -hmm. I jokingly say all the time that my, my career is an example of showing up and seeing what happens. I went to Mizzou because we have a little bit of a similarity. It wasn't necessarily my high school friends that were going there, but because my dad did a medical residency at the university hospital at Mizzou. My two older sisters were born at the University of Missouri Hospital. Um, my dad loved Columbia and he loved Mizzou and it was his favorite school that he wasn't a part of. And he had these deep connections to it. And my dad and I had a really close relationship. And so when it was time for me to think about college, I had planned on either UCLA or Northwestern because I wanted to do film school. I wanted to go into film direction and production. I did not want to be in the films, but I wanted to be a part of creating the art behind them. And my dad dreamed that one of his children would go to Mizzou. My two older sisters were already in college, neither of them at Mizzou. My younger brother was a nationally ranked wrestler who was being looked at by lots of schools. And so he was going to not go to Mizzou. Um, so my dad took me on a visit to Mizzou when I was a senior in high school. And I went on the visit because my dad wanted me to go. And it is the number one journalism school in the country and journalism translates into film direction. Like it was an easy thing that I could sort of mentally map, but I, I went on the visit because my dad said, we're going to Columbia. And he still had um, close friends that lived there from his time in, in Columbia. So we went and visited his friends and I went on a college tour and did all the things, but I was sitting in the living room of the gentleman who had been the chief resident when my dad was a resident in the seventies. And his son was a student at Mizzou at the time. His son was not a tour guide. His son was not being employed and didn't have to do, didn't have to prove that he liked Mizzou to anyone. Right. And I was asking him why he would go to college in the same town where his parents lived. Because growing right. up in Des Moines, my, my family wanted, my parents both wanted me to go to Drake because right it was there. very close yeah. and it's a great school. <clears throat> um, and they have an incredible journalism program as well and writing. So I could have done a lot of things and they really 
Uh, I grew up going to Drake sporting events. I knew the Drake fight song before I think I knew the alphabet. So we had connections to Drake, but I, I just, I don't know. I didn't want to go there. And so I'm sitting there and Brennan told me that he loved the school and why he loved the school and, and living in the same town as his parents didn't matter. And it was his convert, my conversation with him that really gave me that, okay, I'll do this. And my dad will be thrilled. So a little bit of it was, was a nod to, or to please my dad, but a lot of it was, it doesn't seem bad. Right. So it's, it, you know, it was, this is great. And speaking of rain, it rained the whole time we did the campus tour. So I've had a lot of really great experiences in places where I was introduced to them under an umbrella. Um, we, so I ended up at Mizzou started as a journalism major, which is the most common degree, particularly for out of state students. Um, that's pretty, pretty much what you assume when you meet an out-of-state student. That has changed too, but in the early 2000s, that's where we were. And the first summer I was there, I did summer theater and I took a class while I was doing summer theater. I have a performance theater minor. And um, so I took a class. It was in human development, family studies, and I loved it so much that I changed my major and that's the direction that I went. And then I was going into family law and I had already been accepted to Mizzou's law school. So that was the plan. That's insane. That law school is beyond. Yeah. Okay. But yes, I, so, so one of our variances is I'm very good at standardized tests. And as it would turn out, if you can do those well in high school, sometimes you can get early acceptance into law school as long as you do, you know, follow certain things. So that's how I ended up also planning on going to law school at Mizzou. So I did my undergrad degree in child development, started my master's in child development while I was still an undergrad, plan on going to law school, plan on doing all these things because I wanted to show up and do juvenile and family law and show up in a space where a lot of kids need a person who is their champion um, and who is their cheerleader and who is their voice. And that's what I thought I was going to do with my life. And then, um, the summer between when I graduated from undergrad and started law school, my dad was killed and I was slated to go to Mizzou's law school. And that's probably the only reason I went to law school is because I was going back to a place that had become my home. And when I started law school, they asked people about working for the athletic department on the tutoring and mentoring side. There was a program called the total person program. I don't know what it's called anymore, but you could apply. And so law students were on the list of people that got this email that said, we need tutors and mentors. So I started working with student athletes and sitting in a study room with football players who their whole life were told, you have to be good at this sport because that's your future. And no one had ever said, you're also allowed to be a good student. But I said that. And I said, what did you think of this book? What do you want to write about? You know, so I sat in these conversations with these young men who didn't know they were allowed to care about something outside of being fast and catching a flying piece of leather. And then when I was navigating everything with my dad's death, I ultimately decided it wasn't the right time to be in law school. I was in a, in a course where we were doing um, writing, legal writing. We had to do analytics on a case and it was a case about a bike accident and my dad was killed riding his bike. And so I didn't handle that well. And then I was in another case or in another class where we were talking about civil procedure. And so in CivPro, what you learn about is where you can try cases and you can try cases in different states based on different parameters. And so it's about understanding what's in the best interest of whoever is bringing the, the case. And in this particular instance, a uh, father had died and there were three sisters and they were debating the estate. And I'm like, but someone died. Like, why are we talking about this? Part? Right. So I knew that I was not in the right headspace to be in law school. And I had a crazy, tremendous support from the administrators at the law school who actually knew about my dad's death prior to me getting there because someone there was part of the cycling community. So somehow people knew before I showed up which is wonderful. And the universe is incredible and, and took care of me in that way that people, administrators sought me out during orientation and said, hey, if you need a safe space to land, my office is one of those places. 
So anyhow, I'm working for the athletic department doing all these things. When I leave law school, I have a bunch of extra time on my hands because I'm, I'm not studying anymore. And my boss at the time said, you could do this. You, this could be your career. And I didn't really know what that meant because I didn't know what student affairs was. Nobody, Nobody does. what student affairs was. Oh my right? God. Do you remember trying to explain it to our families? Well, that, you know. Correct. Yes. Correct. Okay. And so I moved into a master's program in higher ed and I left law school, moved into this master's program in higher ed, ultimately took my first job out of higher ed. And one of the key components of my job was development and pouring into young professionals, women who had just graduated, who are serving as consultants for the women's fraternity that I was working for. And by that time, I figured out I was really good at sitting with people who were trying to figure out who they were, that that was a skill set that I had and I could make it useful. And if I look back on recently, I was sometime in the past year because the whole year has been two years and 12 years and a thousand years at the same time, but I was part of a project where you had to write down a list of things that you are proud of, proud accomplishments. In essence, it was sort of a pump you up list. Um, I get very excited to just like walk in my closet and see my collection of ridiculous earrings. So I don't necessarily need a pump you up list, but I was trying to be a good participant. So I did the thing. Um, I am excited to be above ground every day. So every I don't day, need, every day. I don't yes. need the pump you up list. And I, I love giving keynotes. So this was for folks who are nervous and have stage fright or who are nervous in front of cameras or nervous to do podcast interviews. That was the whole premise was like, how do you calm your nerves? And so I did the exercise knowing full well that it was going to serve a different purpose for me. And it was a neat moment of alignment for me because as I looked at my list, all of the things that I'm proud of are directly related to providing encouragement and support for someone else. That is what I have loved to do across the entirety of my career, whether I was running a department for a nonprofit or serving as associate dean of students, which is what I was doing in St. Louis before I moved out here and everything in between. And in my consulting work now, when I do strategic planning with a client or when I do professional development workshops or whatever it is I'm doing, I show up so excited to be present with whoever gets to be a part of it. And I feel honored that I get to be a part of their experience. So I approach everything I'm doing from this idea of support and empowerment and permission to be yourself. And, and it's so fun to sit next to someone who didn't know they were allowed to be themselves. I mean, it's, it's sometimes it's heartbreaking because I think, man, you have spent your whole career thinking you were supposed to be something someone else told you. The good news is I'm here to tell you that's a lie. And I have individual clients that I support. So I do individual consulting with uh, folks, particularly in the new leader space, where they're trying to figure out how to be equipped to be a new leader, or they have a new leadership role and they don't know how to actually lead or manage people because a lot of folks get promoted based on skill sets that are not rooted in effective leadership. And then they're a leader and they don't know what to do. So um, I just kept showing up and noticing that people liked having me around. And it wasn't because I was the smartest person in the room because I'm not the smartest person. First of all, I'm married to a molecular virologist. <laughs> He's the smartest person I know. Um, okay, what is that? He So molecular virology, he has spent the past year and a half working on COVID vaccines. And prior to that is working on tumor specific, genetically specific treatments for cancer. So like someone would send in the genetic data for the tumor that they have and his company designs specific treatment plans for specific cancers based on genetic markers. He's that smart. I have an office that looks like a preschool teacher and stop, stop. Factory. No. Oh, no, I say this with love, but it's like, I am not, I can't tell you how to treat your cancer, but I can tell you how to have fun during the time because when Dan was in his doctoral program, he ended up in emergency chemo because he had cancer when we had a three and a half month old and a 20 month old. So I know how to do cancer with glitter because I did it. Yeah. yeah. And my role was to support another human. 
and getting to the other side of cancer as a collective and the role that I played in it is as important to me as any student I've ever supported, as any professional I've ever supported, as any CEO I've ever supported. I love being a person who can champion someone who didn't, first of all, some people don't know they need a personal cheerleader. We all need them. And we all need like 37 of them. Exactly. But some people also don't know that having someone in your corner who believes in you is really important because some days are dark and heavy and hard, and it's hard to believe in yourself. And when you know you have a trusted ally that's standing there waiting to say, it's okay that you don't believe in you today because I believe in you today and we will get you to tomorrow and you'll feel different. It's really, I don't think I answered your question, by the way. No, you did did even more so than I could ever um, anticipate because it's so true because as you're talking, I'm thinking, how have you ever shown up for someone else? Okay. Because you said that at the beginning that you, you were like, I don't want to say like living for somebody else, but you kept showing up wanting to fit the mold with the expectations of what people had for you. But I'm listening to you and I'm listening to just this energy and this, it's just, okay, what I'm trying to say is that I cannot see you being anyone else but who you are right now. Oh, it's who I've been the whole time. I've only ever been this. I show up, I show up supporting other people, but I don't, I've never tried to be a version of myself that someone else projected onto me really, because I don't know how to. Okay. I'm honestly, here's the thing. Here's the secret. Are you ready for the secret? Bring it on. Okay. I think I've never said this on any podcast. So now it's official. Okay. I'm too lazy to think about what someone else wants me to be. I don't have the mental energy to filter that. I am only capable of being myself. That is the bandwidth that I have. And so I I'm grateful for that mental laziness of not trying to think about what I'm supposed to be. I will tell you the students that are in my course this semester have seen me lecture looking like myself. Um, I don't even think that I would fit on some of the days. I don't even think that I would meet the universities, like the college of business, which is the class that the, the college that I lecture for at the university of Missouri this semester, next semester, I'm actually part of another college as well as college of business. They have a dress code for events for sure. I don't, fit their dress code. Um, so I have only ever been this, I just didn't know what to call it, but my passion has always been showing up for and on behalf of other people and seeing how I can be a useful resource. I recently, um, was having a conversation with my new therapist because my therapist retired. Also everyone listening, please have a therapist. You should have a therapist before you get car keys therapy before 16. This is a thing I believe in. Um, not because, you are struggling, but because life is hard, right? Like that's therapy is for everyone because life is hard for everyone. Um, but he asked me about my mission statement. What's my mission statement as a human. And I said to create space where people feel invited and welcome as themselves and to serve as a resource to them as they go. And that's all I want to do is be a resource and be a useful ally. Now, because I love authenticity and because I don't know how to be anyone but myself, I have a saying that one of my treasured friends um, loves most. My favorite saying that I say, or my favorite, her favorite saying that I say is don't ask me to stand in your corner and then tell me what shoes to wear. So part of it is I know how to show up as myself and I want the people who want me as myself to invite me, right? I am this, (laughs) I am this. And why would I want to be called to be anything else, right? I was listening to, I love audiobooks and um, have actually been listening and reading along, sometimes I sit and read it, um, a book called Joyful. uh, And it is about the role that color plays in our life and the responses we have to color and all these different things. But she was talking about the ultimate version of a color. That's not what it's called, not the ultimate version. I've just lost the word, but the most saturated version of a color 
that we have. That's the, the purest version is it's high, most saturated. That's where I was trying to go. So the purest version of any color is the most saturated. Do you know how we get new colors out of the purest version of a color? We add gray. That is how we turn colors from their purest, most saturated form into calmer, muted tones. We add gray. That's what we do. I am not interested in someone asking me to add gray to myself because they don't know how to handle me. I have no energy for that. Now, am I like quiet when I have to go to a lecture or that sort of thing? Yes. I know how to rein it in a little right. for like a time bound window. But right. if you need this energy that I'm bringing to the table, I guarantee you, you're not going to find a better version of it. But if this is not the energy you want, it would be ridiculous for you to invite me to the table. And that's a thing that I think a lot of folks get stuck on too, is the idea that it's okay to not be for everyone and be your most authentic self. I love the idea that I'm not for everyone because that means I am being my most authentic self. I'm a lot and not everyone wants a lot, but sometimes people don't realize they want a lot because they have never been around someone who pours so much energy for no reason other than that they're a human who's above ground, who happens to be in their proxy. And I love knowing that someone is better because our paths crossed. And that will always be the most true when I don't add gray. Okay, there are no coincidences because this week, um, I know being in higher education, sometimes you can encounter toxic work environments. And yes, yes. and unfortunately, maybe there was this lesson that I haven't learned necessarily in my 20 plus years in higher ed, Um, but it kind of came to a head yesterday. And I found myself in my office crying because, um, I've never had a job that I haven't cried at. Okay. And as you're talking about being like this authentic, real dynamic version of yourself, yourself and accepting it and loving it. And then being in an environment or a work environment where it's, um, not embraced or appreciated um, consistently. And that was my lesson. And then here I have you as a a phenomenal guest, just reinforcing what I needed to hear because um, I've wasted so much time. You know, we do that. We think it's going to get better. We think that um, things are going to improve if I just work harder, longer, more, whatever. And um, I have definitely poured gray in my life. I have um, diluted myself to fit my marriage, now that I don't have one, um, to be a more accommodating coworker, um, to tone it down at family events, um, you name it, I have been modified. And I am just, I am so grateful I know you now because it has, yeah, like you said, it has kind of given me permission to just kind of lean into that Um, because I am naturally loud. um, And I don't know how else my friends would describe me, but um, you know, my background in higher ed was housing, residence life, NARA, like I bet you can see it. And so um, I was in a sorority. I was you know, I was that girl, the Valley girl of the eighties. And, you know, when you're constantly told over and over non-verbally, verbally by different people consistently over time, of course, you're going to pour gray into the container to soften it. And it was yesterday that I realized, and it's taken me many years to get to this point that even though my current work environment is not healthy. Um, I don't have to be there. And that's what you were saying is we're both of a generation where we thought we had to work 40 years, get the watch, retire, move to Florida. Right. And that's no longer it. 
we can and we will be doing so many different, I guess, um, I guess paradigm shifts, so to speak. That, I mean, and technology is not my wheelhouse. I mean, I bought a a GoPro and my kids are using it, but like you know, there's so many different ways that we can evolve and channel and put ourselves kind of like back on track. And as I'm listening to you, I am just like, this was meant to be because so many times as I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm hearing all those people who've watered me down, who I allowed to water me down because I was so, um, you know, I was loud, volatile, happy, you know, whatever, your typical sporty girl, whatever, of the 80s. And um, I really, your message is just really sinking in with me. Well, I love the kismet timing. I think it's also really important to note that you can be, you meaning someone listening, not you in particular, but you can be the most authentic version of yourself and also not be loud and not love glitter and not, you know, I think that's one of the other pieces is there are people who struggle with identity because they are calm, empath, reflective, introverted people, and they are forced to socialize Mm -hmm. in some way or another. And they feel like they're not allowed to be. And I, I, some of my favorite clients are clients that are the polar opposite of me. Yeah. And we work together to help figure out how you can be that too, because that's, that's who you are. And sometimes we add gray, Mm -hmm. but sometimes we let other people add gray and we carry that. And we, you know, we just think it's going to get different. It's going to be different. And, and to your point, Sometimes we think it'll get better if I work harder, do this thing, do this task, whatever it is. That's one narrative we tell ourselves when we feel unaccepted as ourselves. The other narrative that I think is, is actually more dangerous. So we tell ourselves it will hurt less to not be valued, that we will stay in a place where we can recognize we're not valued because we will stop feeling that hurt. We will stop being negatively impacted. Yeah. And that's not true. It is not real to dilute how you feel when someone says you aren't who we want you to be. There's a huge difference between you are capable of more You are capable of growth. I want to encourage you to grow. And that looks different, but who you are doesn't work is a message some of us get because we're not loud enough. We're too loud. We're not social enough. We don't want to go to all the happy hours. We go to all the happy hours and people don't think we ever work, whatever it is. There's a list of things. And the problem is everybody has a different metric. And that's why I love authenticity because you are the owner of your own metric when you pursue an authentic life. You dictate who you are and you aren't comparing it to anyone else's expectations of who you are other than perhaps people that you want to have meaningful relationships with. I do say that if authenticity compromises or costs you relationships, we have to look at what that is telling us too. relationships that you value. It may cost, you know, along the way, some people recognize that it costs relationships that weren't healthy more toxic. And as they lean into who they are, rather than who they were trying to be, they can recognize that some of those relationships aren't worth sustaining, but sometimes we have relationships we care about. And in the name of authenticity, they are eroded because what we're pursuing ultimately isn't authenticity. Right. And that's sometimes what we find too. Um, the, I, I recorded my last lecture of the semester and I left my students with among other messages Another thing that I say all the time, which is, it is okay to be awesome and not cool. And when I say that, it's because I use awesome as an internal metric. I tell people I'm awesome all the time. It is not from a place of arrogance. It is from a place of knowledge about who I am as a human. I'm awesome. 
And I know that. And I know that I positively impact people who find me. I know that I have a positive impact on my client base, on my community, on my family. I know that I am awesome. I can tell you that there's probably 0% of humanity who would look at me and think that I was cool because that is a metric that is dictated by things I don't care about. Um, I don't know the names of all the Kardashians. Uh, I don't have a problem with people who do, but I don't know that. I don't know trendy things. I am wearing a fleece from when I used to work at a sorority and, and visited a chat. Like I don't, I'm not cool when it comes to these things that are externally dictated that I have no control over. And frankly, feel like they're changing all the time. And again, I'm too lazy to be someone else's version of myself. I'm also far too lazy to stay on top of trends. That's not, it's not in my, it's not in my wheelhouse, but authenticity doesn't care about cool. Authenticity invites awesome. And that is why I love the work that I do so much. I love it too. Um, but when you're working one-on-one with someone and then I've, I've seen you have pictures on your Instagram account and things like that, where you are, um, doing trainings, how do you modify your message then? Is it because one-on-one is so different, isn't it? Or maybe I'm making it different. Um, yes. Asterisk. If I'm doing a, (laughs) if I'm doing a workshop for a hundred people, I write my workshop with the expectation that there's time for each of those hundred people to think about the content through the lens of who they are. And that's the same as a one-on-one conversation. I just don't always get to sit down next to them during the whole thing, but that just means everyone wants to have lunch with me, which is great. I, the closest I feel to cool is when I lead a workshop that involves a meal, because when people want to sit with me at a meal and they've already heard me talking, (laughs) I feel like maybe I'm doing something right. People want to have lunch with me. Like no one's avoiding me. Um, So that's as close to cool as I think I feel in my adult, in my adult life, but a workshop and honestly, even a keynote in front of hundreds of people, my passion is present in all of those environments so vibrantly Mm -hmm. that it becomes part of the experience. How people feel empowered may be different. The tools that I use or that sort of thing may be different, Mm -hmm. but my belief in creating space for authentic existence is so strong that it is as much a part of a keynote as it is a part of a, you know, two-day workshop or like I say, a strategic planning retreat, nobody comes to that expecting to grow, but they leave having been challenged and invited to grow because that's who I am. Challenge and support, Stanford, come on. It's my favorite theory. Um, <laughs> it's who I am. It's why I was a preschool teacher. It's why I love uh-huh. what I do now. Everything that I've pursued before I realized what I was doing, my entire map, though it's not linear, is constant. And it is, I want to create space where you feel safe to try new things and grow and you feel encouraged along the way. And now I also want to include Ted Lasso because I love that show. And um, (laughs) I think that it's just a really fun mechanism to look at concepts of leadership. So we'll add that to the list too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. So how have you been, I mean, I know we had spoke about you have like, when do you sleep? Um, Because you're, you're teaching at Mizzou, you have this dynamic consulting business, you're a mom, um, you have a a genius husband, like when do you market yourself or how do people find you so that they can tap into this goodness? Oh, well, they can come find me on social media. If nothing else, if you would like loud, obnoxious colors and occasional reels, that are not dance move based in your life on your Instagram feed. I am your person. Um, I'm in. Oh my God. You know, a vast array of shenanigans in October. I did a countdown to Halloween by way of ridiculous earrings. These are things that I bring to the table. Um, It was in my story, so it doesn't exist in the universe, but I'll do it again next year because it was really fun. People were very, yeah, yeah, I will pinky swear. The number of people that responded that I didn't even know were paying that much attention to me we're like, I missed today's earrings or I missed yesterday's. Like if the, if the story had expired and they hadn't seen it, there were people who genuinely were like, I really need to know because I've been paying attention and I'm just curious. Um, so Instagram is a great place to find me consultant Barbie, all one word. Um, my website is great place to find me. 
And the thing about sleeping is this, or all of it, I love boundaries. I am a passionate establisher of boundaries Mm -hmm. and I protect my work time. But by choosing to protect my work time, I also don't do work when it's not work time. I will tell you my children don't think I work at all because they never see me doing it or very rarely. Now that I am occasionally interviewing other things, they know I do a few things and I travel for work. Um, So they do know I do a few things, but they don't realize that while they're at school all day, I am in my joy-filled office doing all the things, writing content or doing individual consulting or whatever I'm doing. They don't really get it. And I take great pleasure in that because that means, and I do sometimes when they're at, when they go to bed, if Dan and I aren't having a really cool and sexy date night watching documentaries, which is what we do routinely. (laughs) I love documentaries so much. I'll watch a documentary about just about anything, just because I like when nerdy people talk about things, even if it is not a nerdy topic. I love documentaries. They're so great. Um, Because I think passionate people are so intoxicating in the best possible way. And I used to say this when I would go to lectures on things that had nothing to do with my career, because I love passionate people talking about the thing they're passionate about. Documentaries are that with a soundtrack. Yes, please bring that on. Um, But I work so hard to work hard when it's time to work. And then when it's not, like, I don't, I, I will tell you, there are people who run consulting companies and do similar work to me who work as much on a Saturday or a Sunday as they do on a Monday or a Tuesday. I absolutely do not. Yeah. If I'm working on a Saturday or a Sunday, it is because that was the date of a live in-person or a live virtual speaking engagement. Okay. That was a question I had for you. It's sometimes like, people I- have that. Like sometimes people are like, Hey, we're doing this leadership retreat. It's Saturday and Sunday. Cause it's for students and they can't do it. Whatever. So yes, I will occasionally do it because of the parameters of a client, but if it is an arbitrary Saturday, do you know what I'm doing? I'm probably building a pillow fort and having a snuggle pile in my basement, watching some movie with my elementary school daughters, because that's where I want to be. And I can usually convince one of them to play with my hair. And this is my other love language besides ice cream is when someone plays with my hair. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. hundred percent. I love when people, do you remember when we used to do in, in school? I don't know if you did it in Iowa, but in Denver, we did whenever we had a movie, um, like in fifth, fourth grade, whatever, we would sit behind each other and we would play with oh, practice braiding. Yes. yes. Okay. 100%. Just making, okay. That's a sign of genius. All right. So like, are you doing most of your work with clients individually and as a group, or are you traveling now because of COVID? Like how um, have a you modified bit, it? A yeah. little bit. And you know, COVID is the reason why I'm teaching for Mizzou. They figured out that they could recruit some really passionate faculty members who didn't live in Columbia anymore or ever for that matter. So I'm actually teaching 12 credit hours because somehow next semester I'm in spring semester. Yes, I know. I'm teaching a full course load next semester. Somehow I will sleep. It'll be on Saturdays in my pillow pile with my children while they play with my hair. Um, yeah. Uh, yes, I have committed to that. Fortunately it is spaced out in a way that I feel like is less wild. Yeah, no, it'll be doable. It'll be doable. I'm confident. Plus I love all the stuff that I'm teaching. The thing about working and living a passionate life is you get less tired by your work. Like, but, and at the end of my day, when I've had a great day full of work, when I'm tired, I'm tired. And I, I crash because I'm so exhausted from pouring all of my passion into a place. And I love that. That's the kind of exhaustion I want is exhaustion from passion, passionate exhaustion. Is that a thing? That sounds like a thing that's inappropriate actually. So let's maybe not call it that. Um, (laughs) that's the title of the book. I can't write. Um, (laughs) Oh my goodness. Maybe not published by, um, you know, the one, um, Manhattan publisher or something, but it'll be published by someone who sells books out of the back of their van, I think. And that's okay too. Look, we all live our life. That's their passion. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. They're doing it. They're doing their thing. Um, but I am mostly virtual right now as the world figures out what it's doing. That said, I'm, you know, it's December. 
I don't know when you're publishing this, but it's December when we're interviewing. And um, the first quarter of 2022, I've already started mapping out in-person and travel. So it'll be time to get back in person and be people in Dallas. I'm coming your way. Um, it'll be time to start being in person. And that's the one thing going back to what you said about individual consulting versus, um, facilitating workshops or doing keynotes or that's right. The one thing that being virtual does not allow for that I actually cherish a lot is the 30 minutes after the keynote or the lunch during the workshop. Those moments where there is opportunity for individual connection, where someone comes up after a keynote and says, I have been oscillating around this idea for a year and you just said it in one sentence. And now I know how to use those words for this concept that I've had. When someone can say to me, you took a thing that I've been struggling with putting into words and you put it into words. And I just want you to know, I really appreciate that. Or I didn't know I was struggling with this until I heard you talk about it. And now all of a sudden I feel like I can recognize my struggle and start to think about how to let go of the things that are problematic, whatever it is. Those pieces don't, no one hangs out to chat on Zoom after the Zoom, right? And that is the piece that I miss. I have had folks come find me on social media or reach out to me via um, direct message on social media or my website or whatever it is. So people have found me to do that. And it isn't that I need that validation. It's that I love the impact piece. I love knowing that someone's life, again, is easier, better because our paths crossed. And it's harder to know that sometimes in the virtual format than it was to kind of get that in passing. It's not the verbal high fives, the you did a great job, whatever it is. I don't, that stuff doesn't really stick with most people. But when someone can say, I can express something I'm experiencing in a new way because I listen to you, that's the fuel. That's why I don't need to sleep because my work is creating that for other people. And that is what I'm all about. And it's true because as I'm listening to you, I'm having those connections made internally where we're going to get off this call and I'm going to like, I don't want to cry or anything, but it really, yeah, it has something about, like I said, your energy, your passion, the way you say things, um, and I am crying, whatever, but um, it like gives you permission to, to really kind of lean in and it's good. It's good. Well, I'm really glad. Oh my goodness. So um all right. That was really a high note. <laughs> <laughs> All the notes are high notes if they're authentic. That's the other secret, right? All the notes are high notes if they're yours. And that was your moment right there was your real moment. And those are your real tears. And that's your real breath filling in new space. That's a high note. You don't have to call it anything other than a high note because it is one. I'm not a therapist, but sometimes I say things that feel therapy-ish. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, sometimes I think uh, people who are outside of the, the therapy realm, so to speak, because I definitely have a therapist myself. Um, it's that or pay for my kids college. And, um, you know, I think those, those learning moments happen outside. It's like theory is within the, the office. Application is the interactions when we leave our therapist's office and we engage with somebody who can provide the message in a different format. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. Oh my gosh. Okay. What? Oh my God. Okay. Didn't even think to have tissue. Okay. It's good. It's all right. Oh my gosh, Erica. So like, um, what are you working on now? You're getting, um, I guess you're going to be traveling in the spring. You're yes. going to be teaching a full load. Yeah. Um, I mean, are you taking on new people to, if they would like I, to contact I you? Am. I have, I have opened up some space for new people. I am. I also have um, 
a leadership series that I built for a client and I've used it now for a couple of clients for new leaders that I would sort of was referencing before that that's a space that I work in. Um, in 2022, I will be creating a cohort model for folks to do that, that don't have access to it because their employer is doing it. So there are one-off people that want to do the same thing. Um, so I am creating that opportunity as well. And I'm supposed to be writing a book. Tell me all about it. That's on my recipe. So now that I've said it, it's out in the universe, right? That's It has to happen. My, it's like when you didn't want to date, right? I know I didn't. I didn't want to date. And then I and married now the book is going to be published. So here we are. There we are. Okay. Here we are. The, the book has been something that other people have suggested would be useful for a long time. And, and truthfully, I thought that that was kind flattery, but it wasn't until the past couple of years that I realized there might be some, some meaningful truth to it. That if I could, that if people who who know me find what I have to say and and some of these things useful, there might be people they know that I don't have access to that could also benefit from it. And if we go back to what I said, my mission statement is with my therapist, it is to be a resource. And the book is the next step for me to be able to be a resource for people who want permission to do some stuff. So that's on my list. 2022 has a long list of things, but you know, again, I sleep a little, it's fine. Oh my gosh. I'm so grateful that you spent this hour with me and, um, what fun to be a part of your world today. Thank you for wanting to, to be a part of the joyful chaos that I bring. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Anytime you need joyful chaos and anytime I can send you graders. Oh Oh my my gosh. Oh, I finally bring my children to Cincinnati strictly for graders. There's other great things in Cincinnati. Don't get me wrong. The Cincinnati is fantastic. Like I know all the things, but like I'm flying there for greater step one and all the other step two. That's fine. And I'm not interested in Skyline Chili. Please, Cincinnati people don't come for me, but it's weird. I can't do it. It is weird. When I moved here, I was like, what is that? My brother, yeah, my brother came to visit after lunch. He was in the bathroom for an hour. It didn't sit well if you're not from here. Yeah, it's a different thing. I feel like Graders is a universal love and Skyline Chili is a very personal thing that lots of Cincinnati people love and then the rest of us don't understand. We don't. And that's okay. We all have that. I mean, Four Collins has that, Des Moines has that. We all have those things and that's okay. I just feel like when I tell people, when I used to tell people I was going to Cincinnati, they would, if they didn't know about Graders, they usually knew about Skyline. And so it'd be like, oh, are you going to have Skyline Chili? No, I'm not. I'm not interested in that. So we can find you at Consultant Barbie on Instagram. What is your website? Oh, and you can also find on Instagram, but if you're a non-Instagram person, um, it is, so the company is called Strategically Authentic and I love all of you and I love how efficient we've become and we don't type real words anymore. So the website is actually just www.strattoth.com. So S-T-R-A-T-A-U-T-H.com. So strategically authentic became efficient in the name of how the rest of humanity operates. Exactly. Remember when we were growing up, it was Kentucky Fried Chicken. And now oh it's yeah, KFC, KFC, all the things, all the abbreviations. Yes. It's true. That was before texting. I mean, if you look at it, everyone who doesn't understand why people now only use letters instead of full words and texting, we can all point to the transition from KFC, from Kentucky Fried Chicken to KFC. Like we were becoming efficient even then. I bet you see it as a professor with your students. I mean, I'm teaching a course on professional writing and business writing. So they, they know to use full words, which is great. (laughs) Um, but it doesn't bother me. Sometimes I see it and it doesn't bother me. I, I am efficient on my phone too. We're all, we're all doing the very, this is, this is the secret. This is what I will leave you here at the end with listeners ready. I've given you a lot of secrets, a lot of my secrets, um, more than I usually hand out. Look at me today. Oh, you're so Um, generous. It's because I got on a really good walk with my dog and I'm just like feeling today. I'm feeling extra Erica, I think. Um, but tomorrow I will show up as the best version of Erica that I am capable of in that day and in that moment. And if it's different than today, that's all right. When I was a yoga teacher, we would talk about the fullest expression of the pose. That's what the goal is, that you're working towards the fullest expression of a pose on your yoga mat. 
But then we would always offer the caveat, how you slept, what you ate, what you're carrying from a stress perspective may impact your body's ability to reach the fullest expression of that pose today. So the real goal is the fullest expression of the pose that you are capable of in this moment. The same is true for how we live our lives. It is the fullest version of yourself that you are capable of in this moment. If you have the flu, you can't be the same. You can try, but it's a terrible idea and all you'll be is exhausted. So the fullest version of yourself that you are capable of today, that's what the world needs. And tomorrow it needs the same thing, but it may look completely different. I have goosebumps. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Really, really. Thank you so much for taking this time. Oh my gosh. I feel like this was a special treat just for (laughs) me. I really, really do. So thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here and I'm excited for people to come find me and and get a little more of, of this in their life. I think it can only serve to shock you with a little energy and vibrance from time to time. Absolutely.